0: This is my favorite part of the study because we finally get to the text of the Bible. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one, verse one. Again, as I mentioned in the intro, I'll be using the ESV, so maybe you want to follow along in that, but you can obviously you can read, do whatever you want with whatever text you have. But Genesis one verse one. Let's listen to the opening of the Bible. In the beginning, God created The heavens and the earth. That's the beginning to an incredible story. Think about what it says. See, the Bible doesn't begin with any sort of argument for God. Instead, the Bible begins by proclaiming the God who is there. And that that God is responsible for all that is here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything in between. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's kind of mysterious. But this God has a spirit who's hovering over this chaos and these waters. And and in verse three, and and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The God who is there is a God who speaks. And when he speaks, things happen. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. Not only does stuff happen when he speaks, but what happens is so good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. I mean, think of what you've just seen about God. The God of the Bible is a God who is responsible for everything here. A God who speaks, who brings things into existence that do not exist And what he does is good. Now, look at verse 6. And God said, let there be. Now, that's interesting, right? We don't have to even look at exactly what it says, because that sounds really familiar, right? And God said, let there be. We can sense that without even reading on. And then look at the end of verse 7. The last line and it was so and then look at the end of verse eight and there was evening and there was morning the second day huh how about verse nine and god said let this happen and then look at the end of verse nine and it was so and the end of verse 10 and god saw that it was good And God said, let this happen. Verse 11 at the end, and it was so. And the end of verse 12, and God saw that it was good. And verse 13, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. What are we seeing? I mean, what is that? It's repetition, right? Why is it there? I want you to think, when you tell a story to a child, maybe of what happened when you were a kid, or maybe you're telling a friend what happened yesterday. Do you realize when you're telling a story, you don't typically pause the story and then tell them, now listen, what I just said there, that was really important. Did you catch that? What I just said, you really need to remember that. Or you don't pause the story to say, now listen, what I'm about to tell you next, this is like the key to interpreting the rest of my day. Now, we, we don't say those sorts of things when we're telling stories, certainly if we were listening to someone tell a story like that, we would get really bothered by that and be like, please don't do that. That's so not interesting. That's not how storytellers emphasize things, right? They don't pause the story and insert little comments to say, now that was important. That's not what happens. Typically, anyway, storytellers will emphasize something through things like repetition. You see, the repetition in the text starts to create anticipation, expectation in the story. Also, it just emphasizes certain things to us already about God. Like, wow, God is very powerful. God is a God of order. God is a God who does really good stuff, right? I mean, all of that's being emphasized through the repetition. But that repetition helps us anticipate what's going to come in the next verse. What I mean is, look at verse 14, and what will you expect will happen on the fourth day? It'll say something like, and God said, let this happen, and it'll probably say after that, and it was so, and it'll probably say after that, that God saw that it was good, and it'll probably say after that, that there was evening and there was morning the fourth day, and you'll find all of that. And then you'll come to the fifth day, in verse 20, and you'll say, well, it'll probably say this and this and this and this, and all of that happens because the repetition builds this expectation, this anticipation. Now, of course, we're not going to be able to go through everything in the text in great detail, but if you'll go back and you'll look through these days, uh, one author, I think uh, Jim Hamilton helped me out on this one, he said that the first three days of creation are kind of like God creating this blank canvas and then days four through six are like god the beautiful master artist filling in the canvas with life everywhere and you could go back and you could think of it that way like god creates the sky but then god fills it up with lights or god creates the land but then on days four through six god fills it with life god creates the sea But then god fills it with life but i want to point out the beginning of the sixth day look at verse 24 and god said let the earth bring forth living creatures and then at the end of verse 24 and it was so and then the end of verse 25 and god saw that it was good and then we might expect it to say And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But it doesn't say that. Look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us. Now pause right there. Already you can tell that that must be really important. Do you know how? Because of the break in the pattern did you notice it this is the first time it says then god said let us do something you see all of the repetition in the text created anticipation expectation but now the break in the pattern grabs our attention draws us in so we want to see wait what is god about to do i mean after all he's saying Let us do something. We might have questions about that. Like, what exactly does that communicate when God says, let us? I mean, who else is there for him to talk to when he says, let us? But at least we could say this is like God taking counsel with himself about what he is going to do next. And as readers, we must be like, that must be really significant, For the God who just is doing all of these things one day after another to pause and kind of take counsel about what he's going to do next. I mean, what is he going to do? Look at verse 26 again. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of these things. See, everything in the story leads us to the sixth day when God says, let us make man. and What is the crowning jewel of all that God makes? Where does the author drive us to? I want you to see this is the climax of creation. It's when God says, let us make human beings. What is it about human beings that is so significant then? And what is it about us? That sets us apart from everything. The author told you. The author emphasized it by repeating it three times. What did the author say? Human beings, unlike anything else in all of creation, are made in the image of God, right? Let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times. Three times, God says, or the text says, man is in the image of God. And this is the thing that sets human beings apart from everything else in creation. God stamps his own image on us. Now, that might get us to to ask, well, what does that mean? To be in the image of God. And, and there have been lots of good discussions about that. You may have some ideas, say, well, I mean, I can see that God speaks and we speak. Maybe communication, relationship, maybe, maybe these are some of the things involved in the image of God, and maybe they are. Maybe we'll have to read and let the story fill out what it means or what, it, what we're supposed to think that we're in God's image. But for right now, I would say, look at the text carefully. And did you notice what is said right after God says, let, me, let us make man in our image? Look back at verse 26. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And the very next thing that the text says is, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over all the things that God has made. There is something, at least, about the image of God, about us being in God's image that has to do with us ruling and having dominion over everything else that God has made. See, God is the creator, so he is like the king over all things. But then at the crowning point, the the climactic moment, of creation, God makes us in his own image, male and female. He creates us to do what? To rule for him, under him, over all that he has made. And maybe that is a key part of what it is to be in the image of God. It's to be able to reflect God and to rule for God under God in a way that pleases God and displays God in the world. Maybe that's part of what it is, but whatever it is, the image of God is what sets human beings apart. It's what gives us great value, greater value than anything else that God has made. And then as you read on in the text, and you look down in verse 30 at the end, and it says, And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What a day, right? The, you read through it, and you think, that." is the greatest day ever so far in the story. And we've seen it in a variety of ways, but I want to point one more thing out about this, that I think you actually could have known that the sixth day was the most important day without even reading so carefully through the details. You know how? I think all you would have needed to do was to look at when each day begins and when each day ends and compare them. Because here's here's what I mean. When does the sixth day start? Which verse? See, it's down in verse 24. That's the beginning of the sixth day. But when does it end? We just read it. It doesn't end until all the way at the end of verse 31. So what is that? Seven, eight verses about the sixth day? How many verses were given to the other days? We probably didn't even notice. But if you compare them, one of the things you'll find out is that the sixth day has about twice as much space given to it as any other day of creation. And I'm just suggesting that I think just from that, you could have made a very good guess that the sixth day would be the most important day of creation. Why is that? Because if you want to know how a storyteller emphasizes something or what's really important to the storyteller, just consider how much space, how much time the storyteller devotes to that subject. Here's, what, here's an illustration. Let's suppose I asked you to, to, to write your own life story. Now, you might be eight years old. You might be 58 years old. But if I said, I want you to write your life story, but I only want you to write it in 10 pages, but it has to be 10 pages. So no more, no less. 10 pages, your life story, and I want you to help me and others get to know you. Now, here's what I... Would suppose i would be able to do at the end of that story especially if you would write kind of some headings about different events or moments in your life i could look through the story and not even have to read all the details and i could just find whatever you spent let's say two pages on or a page and a half on and i would be able to say you know what i think you must have thought those were the most important moments The most shaping events of your entire life because you took of 10 pages you took two pages just to tell me about that you must think that's the most important and most influential moments or years of your entire life because of how much space you gave to the topic there are things you'd skip over you'd only spend a line on but in everybody's life there'd probably be a couple of things that you would devote a huge amount of space to And just from that observation, I would know what you thought was most influential in your life. And that's one of the things you can do as a reader of the Bible, is notice how much space is given to different events in the story. And just like we see here, it'll usually bear out this truth, that that is the most important thing for you to see. So the sixth day of creation is set apart in so many different ways so that we'll see that god's creation of us is the crowning jewel and the climax of all creation and we're the crowning jewel of creation not because we're so great on our own but because god stamped us with his own image so that together as male and female we would be able to reflect and display what god is like and so that we'd be able to rule under god for god over all that god has made and then it ends the creation story ends chapter 2 verse 1 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and on the seventh day God rests from all his work that he has done he blesses the seventh day and he rests from all that he's done now I want to ask you if the, if the Bible is designed first and foremost to unveil God to us. What do you see about the God who is there, just from the first story in the Scriptures?